So much has happened in our country over the last week and a half. We were all horrified over the ghastly images of the murder of George Floyd. We were energized by peaceful protesters who were calling for justice and for something better. And then we were heartbroken just by the rioting and the looting that's taking place throughout our country. You know, as we survey our country, we can all see that things are not right. This is not how things ought to be. During this time of pandemic, when people ought to be coming together, well, we see just how divided we are, don't we? We're finishing our series this morning titled No Fear, How to Trust God in Turbulent Times. And when I started this series several weeks ago, I just had no idea how turbulent our times would become. And when times are turbulent, the best the world has to offer is fear, is worry, is anxiety. Well, God, in his scriptures, the most common command that he gives us is the command, do not fear, don't be afraid. Why? Because fear always leads to poor decisions. It causes us to act impulsively, defensively. It causes us to retreat to our corners and see division rather than unity. So this morning, we're wrapping up this series by focusing on this fear of division. Mark Twain, he was a famous writer from yesteryear, and in his book, Letters from the Earth, he wrote how he envisioned heaven. Here's what he said. Twain writes, the inventor of their heaven empties into it all the nations of the earth into one common jumble. All are on an equality absolute, no one of them outranking another. They have to be brothers. They have to mix together, pray together, harp together, hosanna together. Whites, blacks, Jews, everybody. There's no distinction. Here in the earth, all the nations hate each other. And every one of them hates the Jew. Yet every pious person adores that heaven and wants to get into it. He really does. And when he is in holy rapture, he thinks, he thinks that if he were only there, he would take all the populace to his heart and hug and hug and hug and hug. Twain was not a Christian, but he looked around and he saw all the nations of the earth and he saw how they hate each other. And he said, you think that when you get to heaven that you're just going to hug and hug and hug and hug. See, obviously, Twain's point was, he's looking around, he's saying, if you can't get along here, what makes you think that when you get there, you're just going to hug each other, love each other, live as brothers and sisters in one happy family? How could that possibly be? You understand, this is why the church of Jesus Christ must model something different so that we can give this image to people like Twain who do not understand the goodness of our God. And so we as Christians, we rightly understand that diversity was part of God's plan from the very beginning. I mean, you look at God's creation, he rarely does the same thing twice. He hardly ever repeats himself. Every snowflake is different. Every flower is different. Every planet is different. Every universe is different. Every person is different. Because the glory of God cannot be expressed, cannot be contained in just one type of expression. 
One language cannot contain the praise of our God. One nation cannot understand all there is to know of our God. One people cannot grasp the glory and the majesty and the might of our God. It is only when all the people of the earth gather together in unity that we see this beautiful tapestry of God's creativity and his ingenuity. And then we begin to see God a little bit fuller, a little bit more. And so, this morning, as we look, we see that, well, we haven't done this well as Christians. That's why people like Twain can write and they can question, do you really think heaven can be like that when on earth, well, it seems so broken, it seems so far from that. You see, in the beginning, this is how God designed it to be. And in the end, it is how it will be. But in this time in between, well, our sin, we've, we've lost a lot of this divine diversity that God created us with. And so, for the kingdom in heaven to be expressed here on earth now, well, we have a lot of work to do, don't we? So we'll see as we read from Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. John, in his vision, he writes this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that there can be one who can open the scroll in its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. 
The book of Revelation trembles with this praise of God as God reveals his full self and as if creation cannot hold herself together, just can't handle it, can't take the weight of his glory, the weight of his majesty. It's, it's all creation can do to stay together at the revelation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are told that when Jesus breathed his last breath, that the earth shook under the glory of God who came to save sinners. And now after the letters to the churches, we are invited into the throne room of heaven where we see the worship of the Lamb. And it is a glorious worship. It is an unbelievable worship. And now here we, we get to experience the climax of this worship service where the scroll, the scroll that will unveil history, that will make all things right, will be opened and we will see it fully and finally and it will be so good. And the angel invites the one who is worthy to come and to take the scroll from God the Father and to open it. And John, he looks to see who can stand up and who is worthy to take the scroll and he looks and he looks and no one is moving no one is moving, and so John, he begins to weep. He begins to weep loudly. He begins to wail. He says, why? How come no one can do this? How long must we wait? Someone has to be able to take this scroll. It's, it's the type of weeping and wailing that you can imagine when a parent loses a child, and you say, why? How long, Lord, will things not be right? It's the type of weeping and wailing that we saw when George Floyd was murdered. We said, this is not right. How long until there is justice? How, how long until a system is fixed? How long, Lord, when will things be made right? And just about when John is ready to throw in the towel and say, this is, this is it. This is broken beyond repair. This can't be fixed. The elders come to John and they point and they say, look, there is one. There is one who is worthy. Look, do you see him? And John turns his gaze and he sees the one who is able to open the scroll. John says, I saw him. And he looked like the lamb who had been slaughtered. You have this image of the Passover lamb from Exodus where the blood was put on the doorpost marking people as belonging to God so that the angel of death would pass over those houses. Now the Passover lamb has shed his blood for all of us, his blood marking our hearts, identifying us as ones who belong to him. And this lamb takes the scroll and begins to open its seals and all of heaven erupts in praise. Finally, it's going to happen. Finally, our waiting is over and we know what that waiting is like. We've experienced that waiting even just right now through this quarantine. We know what it's like to wait and to say, when will things be normal again? When will everything open up again? When will this virus be gone? When will there be a vaccine? We know what that waiting is like. It's like a kid waiting for Christmas. You just can't get here fast enough. It's like parents waiting for the birth of a child. You know what that waiting is like. We watch television, we see the news of anger that is poured over into our streets. We see lives and livelihoods that are lost and we, we look at each other and we ask, how long? How, how long will things be like this? How long before somebody can come and make things right? John tells us that things aren't gonna be perfectly right 
until that lamb takes the scroll, until Jesus Christ takes it and unrolls it and justice flows out like a mighty water and then everything is finally made right and everybody erupts in praise. People from every tongue, every tribe, every nation erupt in praise because of the one who can make things right. Now you do know that was the idea from the beginning. Diversity was not something that our world just cooked up and said, hey, let's celebrate. No, it's something that our world wrecked because we see division rather than what unites us and binds us together. We don't see the beauty of this artist who has created this array of people to celebrate his ingenuity to express just how creative and how wonderful he is. See, there is no way that one language, one tribe, one nation, one people could ever hold all of his glory, all of his blessing, all of his majesty, all of the honor due to our God. The vastness of our God takes multiple expressions. You do a little exploring into cultures that are not your own and you realize that there is insight there that I do not possess here, that there is a rhythm and passion for worship that I do not have, that there is this sense of discipleship and the way of doing it over here that I never saw by myself right here. See, when you are left alone in and of yourself, you do not understand, you cannot fully appreciate just the vastness of God's creativity, of his ingenuity, of the way that he's made us, because he has made us for relationships. I tell you all the time that you cannot be complete in Christ, alone in Christ. That I must, in order to be complete in Christ, I must benefit from your spiritual gift and you must benefit from mine. We are created for relationship. And then when the relationship of God's family comes together, we see the creativity of our God. We understand further insight that we wouldn't get on our own. We understand other ways of discipling that we just wouldn't pick up if we were left to ourselves. And right now we are seeing what isolation can do to a people how we can cause us to see division rather than unity, how we can retreat to our corners rather than celebrate the beautiful creation that God has made. As many of you know, I have dear friends in Sierra Leone, and they live on little, a little more than a bag of rice each month. And yet in my times over there and spending time with them, I've, I've learned so much from them. I've learned how you can praise God with full hearts even when you have an empty stomach. I've, I've learned just this commitment to worship when, th when times are really tough. It, I've got friends in India and in serving them and being over with them, I've, I've learned just this determination of taking the gospel no matter what the cost would be. In serving people from the Ukraine, I've learned the seriousness of prayer, a seriousness that we don't often see here, and praying these big prayers. You see, understand, in my expression, in my culture, sometimes I miss all this. But when I'm around other brothers and sisters from different tribes and different languages and different nations, well then, I am made aware of so much more. You know, I went to all these people be, to use my gifts to serve and to equip them to be disciple makers. I use what kind of privileges and, and the gifts that I've been afforded. But when I'm over there with them, I am not simply a teacher, I also become a student. Because I learn from their gifts and their privileges and then they make me better. We become stronger together. That's the whole picture. We become stronger together. And then we see just a little glimpse of what heaven 
can be like because together this tapestry of God's creativity begins to take place. And we see a God who can reach into the hearts of polytheistic India. We see a God who can reach into poverty-stricken Africa. We see a God who can reach into communist China. We see a God who can reach into staunchly independent America. And that he can create all these people and bring all these people into one family, into one church for his glory and his honor and his praise. One of my greatest memories, my last trip, my most recent trip to Sierra Leone was a dinner that I share with about 20 missionaries. You know, many of the missionaries came with my team and then, and then about half of the other missionaries were from a medical mission team there or they were wealthy donors, Christian donors who supported this uh, Christian hospital. And we sat around two tables and we just talked and strategized about how can we make more disciples. But around these two tables, these 20 missionaries, there were people represented from every continent except Australia and Antarctica. People from a variety of backgrounds. You, you look at the diversity around that table, you had just about every skin tone represented. You had so many languages represented, so many customs, cultures, backgrounds, different countries of origin, all represented around these two tables, this small group, yet beautifully diverse, all thinking and praying together. And we understood something, that in this great diversity, there is unity, a unity that runs so deep, a unity that is deeper than the color of our skin, than the language of our tongue, than even our family, unbelieving family backgrounds, because we understand that together, because of the one God, the lamb who was slain, that we are family adopted into this one family of God. See, we all came to the table because of the one man, Jesus Christ, because of the lamb standing as though he had been slain. Despite all the many things in the world that could separate us, we understood that what held us together was stronger. That this one man, this God-man, this one man born of a virgin, this one who lived a perfect life, this one who died a death that we could never die on the cross for my sin and on the cross for their sin and on the cross for your sin, that this one man, he defeated sin and death and he rose again to prepare a place for us as he ascended to heaven so that his family, all his adopted brothers and sisters will one day sit around that throne singing praises to him. This one man, Jesus Christ, did this. And all of us around the table, we knew that because we shared one faith. And we knew that we were one family of one church with one faith. See, diversity is beautiful, but it is most beautiful when it is experienced in unity. And in order to have a more credible witness to our watching world, one of the prayers that's been on our hearts for quite some time is that our church would begin to look more like our community. You know, it's easy to say that God is not a God of partiality. But when people come to our church and it looks, well, maybe it looks like you guys are a little partial. Well, then those words, they can fall on deaf ears. Our, our, our words don't really match our actions. They can become clanging symbols. And so when we do not experience the diversity in the context of unity, well then fear creeps in and we go to our own places. We become partial to the music that 
I like and the order of service that I like and the food that I like and the customs that I like and the way that I think church ought to be done. But the thing is, we do not gather to worship ourselves. We gather to worship Jesus. And he is not partial. You understand the vastness of his glory, the vastness of his majesty, the vastness of his honor. He enjoys the diversity of worship from his people. It can take all different types of expressions. And in those expressions, he is magnified all the more. He loves it because this is how he designed it at the beginning. And this is how it will be in the end. And if we can get a glimpse of that right here and now, then that makes people like Twain say, hmm, maybe heaven really will be like that because I've seen a glimpse, I've gotten a taste of what it might be. See, the key to making this unity happen in the midst of diversity, it is humility. It is saying to the other person, I value you more than I value myself. The the person across the table, you look at them and you say, I'm going to love you, I'm going to choose to love you more than I love myself because I know the value that our Savior put on you. And you hear me say, our Savior. One of the things that we like to say in independent America is, my Lord, my Savior, my Jesus. You even hear people when they're uh, witnessing and trying to, to do some evangelism, they will say, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And it is true that our God is a personal God, and we are thankful for that. We are thankful that he knows every hair on our head, that he knows every detail of our life, that he is intimately involved with us, and that he saves each one of us individually and personally. But see, we foolishly think that this individual Savior is the highest expression of Jesus' love for us, that that in his personal dealings with us, that this best encapsulates the, the intimacy that he experiences with his people. But you understand, the early church, while they understood that God was a personal God, they did not highlight the personal aspect of God. What got the emphasis was that our God is a communal God because they rightly understood that in being a communal God, God is even bigger, that this highlights his intimacy all the more. Why? Because he does not save us to live and operate on our own that he has adopted us into a family and that he can take people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue, and he can make them one. And in doing that, we see a God who is so much bigger. His vastness cannot be contained in just me. So we celebrate and we say, he's not simply my Lord. He is our Lord. He is our God. He is our King. He is our Jesus. He is our Redeemer. And that is even more sweet because he can take it all and make one. See, in this beautiful scene of worship, as we get this glimpse of heaven, Some people have this idea that, you know, in heaven it really will be perfect and there will be nothing man-made there at all. Well, you understand that's a wrong statement. Do you remember again, just just picture this passage again. Do you remember when Jesus shows up and John looks around and then the elders point to him and then he sees him and there is the lamb standing as though he had been slain. This lamb standing as though slaughtered. Do you see what's man-made in heaven? the scars on Jesus. See, we we put them there and we will be confronted always with our sin that we put on Jesus and it creates this humility where we look around and we say, if not for the one, 
If not for the one who could take the scroll, if not for the one who could die the death that I deserve to die, if not for the one who could defeat it, then I would not be here. And then this creates humility where we all join in because you see this one who took all of our partiality, all of our jealousy, all of our hatred, all of our deceitfulness, and he bore it all, all of our sin, and he has the scars to prove it. So that all of this diverse humanity will worship humbly before our king. The world hears tell of this heaven where all the people, red, yellow, black, white, will mix together, pray together, harp together, hosanna together. And they look around and they say, how how could that be? Because it seems like... You hate each other. How is it going to be that you're going to get there and just hug and hug and hug and hug? You see, the world hears of this heaven, but sometimes they can't believe it because they don't see it. May we be a church that when people see Central, they believe in a heaven like that because they see people, a diverse group of people, who come together and mix together and pray together and harp together and hosanna together and hug and hug and hug and hug. Because in this great diversity, our unity is stronger because of the one, King Jesus, who died for us and rose again for us. Heavenly Father, God, we we ask that your kingdom in heaven would be expressed here on earth, even if just through us. God, God, may we be a place of light when when people see our church, they see a place where diversity is expressed in unity for your glory and your praise and your honor and your majesty. And God, forgive us that we don't look like our community right now. Help us to grow in this with humility and love for you and for people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.